Welcome to The Story is Ludicrous, a podcast by four, sometimes three friends who went to film school and have not yet been able to get over it. Uh, with me, as is often the case, are Jeff Picanso and Ethan Beagle in California. Hello. Hello. I'm Seth Rudy here in Memphis. Keith Putnam is on assignment today. So today we are uh, talking about uh, the 1999 uh, David O. Russell film, Three Kings. Uh, this was my choice, and this is a film that was just, it's been on TV recently. And um, if you recall from uh, podcasts uh, in the past, one of the reasons I chose to do this film was because of an episode of The Simpsons. This makes sense if you follow the logic through, which I don't recommend you do. Uh, an episode of The Simpsons in which Kent Brockman makes a joke about the Iraq War uh, in like episode, in like season four of The Simpsons, in which uh, that joke had simply been extracted, moved to an episode made last week, dropped in, and it would have worked perfectly. And that kind of called to my attention the fact that um, we've been over there for a really, 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 really long time. And that made me think back to uh, Three Kings, which was one of the films uh, that we all, I think, saw together in film school. I think we were all in our junior year that year. Um, might have been a senior year. I think it was the um, summer. So yeah, it was like the between, summer. Between... Yeah, no, it was October. The thing, the IMDb okay. says October. Um, but anyway, we're all in college. We all saw it together, and I remember really, really liking this film a lot. And I don't remember meeting anyone who didn't. Uh, and then I remember thinking about this film recently uh, while it was on TV and while I was thinking about the length of the wars, um, and I kind of ended up slotting it into sort of two of my ways of thinking, one of which was a kind of pre versus post 9-11 um, cinematic uh, history where, you know, 9-11 for me marks, marks kind of a, an ADBC of, of uh, film, like films you can't make anymore. Um, and I also realized that my entire chronology of the first and second Iraq wars is really oddly mixed up with Three Kings in such a way that I have no, and I'm embarrassed to say this because I, I consider myself an educated person, but I basically had like no recollection that the war kind of wasn't still happening. Um, in three, like for me, Three Kings happens in a world in which that, a war, that, that we were still at war um, or either in Iraq or in Afghanistan. And that's not true. Um, and in fact, obviously the war in which Three Kings is set is Gulf War One, which was over in like 91, right? Like yeah, that, that yeah. thing, that war yeah. went fast, yeah. That was a fast war, and it was over for seven years before Three Kings even came out. And yet, for me, this movie, way more than the war itself, um, is what Gulf War One for me is. Um, and that's sort of my opening uh, salvo to you guys, before we get into a lot of the interesting issues about the film, which are not only its script... But it, the presence of Spike Jones, the weird, um, the technical stuff that I don't know anything about. Um, I think like 45 degree shutters for action sequences and, and that kind of thing. And ectochrome cross-processing stuff that hopefully you guys will be able to talk about more than I can talk about. Um, but basically my question to you is this, is where, how does, where do you constellate this film in terms of your own historical knowledge of the events that it depicts? Like, is it very separate from them? Is it sort of mishmashed into your memories of, of what, of the nineties? Um, that's, that's my opening question. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I think I know what you mean. Um, the, I, it's interesting because you kind of like, because with both of these Iraq wars, like there's, 
we kind of got into this when we talked about Wag the Dog. It's like there you don't get a lot of depictions of what it's like for soldiers in combat or situations near combat. You know, like you don't you don't have a clear when you're watching the news and you're watching coverage of Gulf War One or Gulf War Two. You don't have a clear picture of what it's like day to day for a soldier. So you kind of wait for something to come along and fill that void and. Um, yeah, and this, and I think you're right. Like this, this is like enough time had gone by that you could do a lot of research and you could make a film, you know, set in 1991 without like really um, offending anybody who'd been through it, or like, like without worrying that you were pissing anybody off. Um, but also because it was 99, there was all, all like all these really bordering on nihilistic films that were just like really. Um, uh, uh, very like satirical and very harsh, and all that stuff would go away after nine eleven. So you're right. Like this is just like Fight Club. This is a film you couldn't make today. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. Which part? That you couldn't make this film today because I, I don't know. I feel like there's uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding like the concept of nihilism, but you know, like this movie's very definitely about something, and I I feel like you know there's there's there have been movies that have tried to tackle like this. Um, I mean, I would now. I'm going to say this without having a concrete example in my head, which is a terrible idea. Um, but there have been movies like about war that are trying to get at that gray area of why are we there? What good are we doing? Can we do the good that we were told that we were doing? Um, even though the people above us may have ulterior motives, you know, like that separation between the working class essentially and the elite class, um, and the motivations for why all these people are doing that. And I think this film tackles a lot of those those issues, um, and I feel like like that's still okay to do. Um, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying like the body of the film. I'm saying where, like where this where these characters start out, like. A lot of them are portrayed as dumb. Oh, and, yeah. And they joined the army yeah. specifically to blow stuff up. Uh, okay, yeah, that, I would agree with that. Yeah, post nine eleven, you wouldn't you you wouldn't be able to like start out with, you know, yeah, with Spike Jones's character and and their initial mission is based purely out of greed and selfishness and everything else. Yeah. And they well, have even to... even that I don't I don't think you I mean yeah like the heist movie thing is still really interesting you know and they they go through this whole moral journey but I think that there's a lot of, like. I I really like the the opening thing where they're like they're like taking pictures of themselves in front of the flag and it sort of becomes clear that like whatever um heroizing you might have thought this movie was going to do the characters in the movie are already doing it to each other you mm-hmm. know what I mean like it, it it makes it really clear that this film is going to try to break down a lot of those myths and the whole torture sequence in the middle where you know it becomes like they try to have this debate and all like the moralizing falls apart pretty quickly and it becomes about oil you know like i get like i mean those debates still happen on the news but like i don't know i don't know where else it could that, that i don't think would happen today yeah i i think that today's movies like about the iraq war or iraq wars are basically you know um uh, they're zero dark 30 jarhead and um hurt locker and those you know, and they're they're not what this movie is, which is funny. Like th- this yeah. movie is funny, 
and it paints a portrait of the absurdity of that conflict. Yeah. Um, that, that current movies about the conflict, you know, can't, I, 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 I just don't think you can, yeah. I, 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 you I couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. This movie skirts a tone that those movies definitely don't because, you know, and that's why, typical that's why it couldn't be made. Like the tone, you couldn't reproduce the tone in a movie about the same subject now. I don't think. Yeah, in Zero Dark Thirty, like I, I have you guys seen that movie? I actually I have, have not, not seen that movie, although I'm aware yeah. I'm supposed to have. Well, yeah, I think that movie's really bad, and um, and I think it spends so many so much time doing things that it's supposed to do. Um, it goes so far afield from what its stories should be, and that tone problem, you know, like. Yeah, it's. I think that movie got a lot of awards because it's like it took on this, you know, big issue of torture, blah blah blah. But like it, um, just is so aimless. And um, the the thing. Okay, we were talking about Apocalypse Now on another episode. Do you guys remember? Like in in the redo of Apocalypse Now, they finally show you the the French plantation scene, right. which is where like they stop the movie and they all sit down and they argue about like you know what. America's role in this part of the world yeah. was and is and should be the scene from another movie. Yeah, it's yeah. deathly boring. Yeah, right. But in this, in that torture scene in Three Kings, they managed to have that debate and make it part of the story and make it really compelling. They like, also make it. They also do it in twenty less minutes. Than oh yeah, Apocalypse for sure. Yeah, now yeah, yeah. It does which? Yeah, but which goes but, a long way. No, absolutely. But there's stakes to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and there's and there's you really feel this character who's been wronged and is part of this. It's not just like. You know, it's not just a, a roundtable debate. Well, and I think, like, where that scene works is that, like, they kind of hit at what the movie's about. And, you know, it's one of those, um, you know, film school questions where it's like, what's the movie about? And you say, well, it's about these guys who go and try and steal some gold. And it's like, no, what is the, that's the plot. What's the movie about? And, like, this movie is about, you know, these guys who think that they're there for one thing and then events make them realize that that thing is a facade that they thought they were there for and they're trying to like grasp that and and accomplish that mission that they thought that they had accomplished when the war ended and they found out that that was bullshit and they they keep trying to do that and the and the torture of the Said Tagmawi character is there to just like He's yeah, you're right. He's an integral part of what the movie is about because you need that guy to say you guys are here for the reasons that you don't know about. Like you you think you're here because you're here to save Kuwait and to help us and everything. But you're full of shit. You're here to steal the Kuwait gold. You're here to steal oil. Like that's why you're here. Yeah. And you so contextually, you're right. It's not. They're not going into another room and having a big, long conversation like Apocalypse Now about things that nothing else in the movie is about. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and I think, like, what we're saying, like, this movie's really, really interesting because it skirts those tonal, it, like, it, it, it runs along that fence of being comedy and very deeply serious and emotional. Um, yeah. And very deftly handles that. Um and and it works, and I've been trying to figure out exactly what why that works. Where I, there are movies where yeah. that just flat out doesn't work, and they just no. don't do it very well. Yeah, and the action is really good. And like, because he'd only made two movies before this, they're both low budget, um, dark comedies, and there's nothing in either of those movies that suggests he can do big action set pieces. What were the two? He did flirting with disaster and spanking, and the, spanking the monkey is the, monkey. the one before right. that one. Yeah, and that movie cost like eighty thousand um, dollars, and is set in a house. Like, um, yeah, there's, I don't know, I don't know how 
he got Warner Brothers to give him the money to make this, and I don't know how he pulled it off. Um, yeah, it's I, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't expect this to hold up as well as it does. I like I, I thought everything in it works great, and yeah, I think that it's it's amazing that you you can kind of establish in the first five minutes of the movie that there's there's going to be traumatic death but also there's going to be really goofy comedy and somehow like because i'm always the guy who's like yeah you can't do those two things in the same movie but so yeah i'm really i'm really yeah. glad that you brought that up because yeah. this is yeah this is exactly an example of a movie in which you you, you do get both yeah but um, over so- and over and over he slowly he just keeps transitioning from one to the other you know what i mean right and like, i think that's where you know what i think that nails it because i've spent the last two the last two weeks since i watched the movie a week and a half trying to figure out because the movie does this thing where it kind of becomes a different movie at the end of you know after they they find the gold um and they're getting ready to leave and the the guy guy shoots the rebel's wife and they're like well we can help these people and it suddenly it becomes a different darker movie and i think you know there are there are movies where the movie becomes a different movie and it almost universally pisses me off. Like the the number one example that I can think of of a movie that I hated that everybody else loved would be like A Beautiful Mind where halfway through the movie it just stops being about what it was and becomes about something totally different. And it's a big surprise and everything else. And I was like, but no, like like now I'm watching I, – I feel like I just watched a double feature. You know, I think an I, even worse example of that, and I know we're, this is tangential, but I, I, I want to critique it. Uh, Hugo is like the biggest example of that I haven't that I seen that in the last X years. Oh yeah, um, that, so, that like, movie just completely abandoned its own project. These things, these things happen, and they happen often. And this one, it works. And I and I think I'm glad that you said that the transition is slow from being kind of a comic sort of. You know, a dark comedy like, oh, they just shot at this guy, and then when they retell the story, it's like oh, his head popped off and blood was squirting everywhere, and you yeah, get those yeah. visuals, and they're silly and kind of funny to becoming this very serious, like, let's redeem ourselves and let's do some good. Um, and I think part of it was also, and I sort of, I maybe I'm wrong, but I, I feel like I came to this conclusion that the movie sets you up as if it's going to be a heist movie. And so for a little while, you're thinking this is going to be a heist movie. But even in those scenes in the beginning, you don't like they're telling you that this movie isn't really a heist movie. And yeah, so you think that the movie's moving along really fast because the inciting incident you think is, well, they found this map. So now they're going to go on this heist. But the inciting incident isn't that they find the map. It's when the rebel's wife gets shot. That's really the incident that that drives what the story is about and takes the plot into that direction to so like there is consistency through the movie but they do it's just it's really good at like making that bait and switch without making it a total bait and switch it doesn't become about anything else it's just you know it just revealed to you it's 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 want versus need right right they start they get the thing that they thought they wanted and then on like on that on that journey, they discover something much greater that they actually you know they they realize they need more and the thing I think is interesting is they don't um they don't completely abandon the quest for the gold you right. know what i mean like they don't they don't become total altruists and leave it behind like some of it they give to them some of it they you know pay to other people like they keep using it and using it and realizing it's like more of a means to an end than anything but um 
Yeah, Seth. I, I want to talk about the the opening because I think that um, you're right, and a lot of what happens, uh, a lot of the rules uh, of the film, or, or at least the sort of the atmosphere of the film, is set up in the first few shots. And so I'd really like to talk about the opening because I really have a very clear. I've always had a really clear opening of um, this uh, memory of the opening of this film, um, the way that they're marching through the desert and what I guess turns out to be New Mexico or something. I think it's all Arizona. Yeah, the whole film. It's Arizona. Yeah. yeah. Um, And, you know, it's just, are we, and like the war is technically over and it's, are we shooting or what? Right. Um, And they're panning around. There's just this moment where they're panning around the desert. Like no one knows what's going on. Right. And there's the, shot where it's like there's the two guys in the center of the frame against the entire desert right it's like yeah it's like a grain of sand yeah in your eye but i can't get it out right and that always reminded me of there's a far side cartoon that's almost exactly like that um, where it's like there's two dudes in the desert and it's like yeah there's something in your eye i can't like i can't figure out there's something in your eye here oh, okay um yeah, right? And you're like, well, they're in a desert. Obviously, it's a grain of sand that's in your eye, right? It's like, it's like a grain of sand. And yeah. I'm just thinking, like, the far side is such a perfect um, a, a perfect reference point for what this entire war or this movie about the war is, is like, right? It's all just, right? Literally, it's like the plot for this heist for millions of dollars is something that they pull out of a guy's ass. Like, it's, we pulled this out of our ass. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, like the fact that no one knows what's going on and that it's really funny, and at the last second, he shoots that guy, and he hates it, right? Like, he shoots that guy, we shoot people, or what? He doesn't even know. You can't really tell. It opens with that ambiguity, like the guy who's waving a white flag starts to move his rifle over, right? But it's really unclear as to whether or not that was an aggressive gesture, and so Mark Wahlberg shoots him. Yeah. And everyone else is celebrating and taking photos, which is horrifying, and Mark Wahlberg does that kind of, like, you know, face palm, yeah. sort of like gripping of the nose, yeah. like anguish thing. And I'm just not sure how that, I mean, that was such a short little sequence of jokes and murder and blood, like just pouring out of this guy's neck, right? That all works in a really short space and just uh, throws that mixture uh, at you, like right at the opening instantaneously. And I think really quite strongly. Um, and then like the music starts, which is, you know, I just want to celebrate. Yeah. Right. Right. At that moment. Yeah. It's and fantastic. It's... And, and, it's, and it's like, it gives, it gives you all, it gives you all the darkness, which the main body of film is going to be about, but they then go into like a long, all that stuff at the party is really comedic. You know what I mean? It doesn't go back to being dark until probably like a half an hour in when, you know, the, the rebel leader's wife gets murdered. But like, because they've established that immediately, you know what I mean? It's it's it. yeah, like and that's but like what's the what's the purpose of the like what's that comic tone about, right? Like I mean, is it about the you know? I think it's I think it's accurately trying to depict what soldiers go through because so much yeah. so much of it is boredom and so much of it needs to be filled with humor and it ends up being gallows humor. You know what I mean? And I think that I think that I think that's also a really interesting like viewpoint of america too because you know he he killed the guy he felt guilty about it he didn't let his guilt stop him from going to the party the same day you know what i mean right like and and that i think that sort of summarizes you know american involvement in this war it's like well we did it um we're not gonna let it change the way we think about anything we're not gonna let it you know like yeah it's almost not gonna let it inconvenience our lives 
Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons why I think um, after the fact, and I didn't realize at the time when it came out in 1999, but re-watching it, one of the reasons I really like this opening sequence and like this movie in general is because this was the first movie that I'd seen about a war I knew uh, that had a bunch of, that wasn't already a historical phenomenon, right? So it wasn't like the Vietnam War or World War II that already had all of this like ancient political, the political baggage of our fathers. And it seemed like this slightly ridiculous, you know, it was ridiculous, right? And that's what the movie really is. It's just, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. And every situation is sort of in itself ridiculous, not necessarily funny all the time, but these were a bunch of like idiot teenagers who didn't really know what they were doing, right? Fighting a war that looked like recognizably modern to me, right? Like it's clean. Like the ectochrome was really like the saturated blacks. It wasn't very grainy, the way I'm used to like Vietnam footage being like, it didn't, it oh, looked yeah. like, you know, it looked different and it told a different story. It wasn't platoon with, you know, dramatic music and Oliver Stone sort of grandiosity. It was much more, um, self-contained. Yeah. It, it, it's hard to think of another war movie that takes itself or like, or, that is able to at points not take itself seriously. You know what I mean? Another one about, right. About soldiers, like I think, nineteen forty one, not with. <laughs> I think true. Uh, very true. You know, th- <laughs> it's a this movie's a really interesting variation on the war is hell, like you know, idea where we see you know, private Saving Private Ryan got all this um, applause for being about being a depiction of war is hell in a war that nobody really acknowledged was hell for the soldiers because it was such a an we needed to go to that war and we were fighting the good fight against a, a, an evil monster. And there was no ambiguity as to who was right and who was wrong with world war two and saving private Ryan sort of came in and said, well, no, like lots of people died in really horrible ways. And that sucks. Like that war is hell. And, you know, apocalypse now is kind of, and most of the Vietnam war movies are war is hell because we have no idea why we're here. And this is kind of this war is hell because these soldiers know why they're there and find out that, they're not actually that mission doesn't exist you see i I got a different sense the sense i got was that we we don't know why we're we're, from the soldier's perspective at least in the first you know for the first 15 minutes of the film with the exception of Clooney, right who kind of talks about it differently with his um uh, his general i guess his his ceo is that they they they're they're there to win and that's it like they don't know why they're there beyond we're here to win this war and they don't care I felt like they knew that like, they were why they knew what victory was was to kick Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait and like yeah, they exactly, were saving like, Kuwait like that like they they were there for altruistic reasons um and so you know they they were victorious and that's why they're celebrating and they're so happy because they they did their job they accomplished the mission we were there No they're celebrating cuz they get to go home. Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's but right. Also, like, like, I I I don't know. I I felt like they were they won the war. They were thrilled. But they didn't do anything. They never killed anybody the whole war. But, they just sat no, in the desert. No, I know, desert. but America did, and they were buying what was fed to them. That that's what I mean. That's that, yeah. And that's what this war. That's what this war was about. Was about a media package. Right. Exactly. Right? And yeah. that those those individual soldiers, the characters that we end up following, um, were they bought what they were sold. And we're thrilled that as part of the Team America, they won the war, and that was great. And then they find out, well, 
the war that we were sold was not the war that's actually happening. You know, um, so like, yeah, I sort of saw it as this own like their hell was that they didn't actually accomplish anything there and they see that when well, they yeah and get, they're and they they're happy there. to get the hell out of there you know like for 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 the first half hour of the movie you know they don't they don't they don't understand what's going on in any of the villages around them and they right. need Clooney to explain it to them yeah they're, and then even when they get to the village mark Wahlberg still is just like let's just get the hell out of here like we're done we did our thing right. and has to then like has to see it to be like wait we haven't done anything to help here yeah. at all like this is still really fucked up and really bad and you know they have to have that that that's the journey that they then they then have to go on is to feel like they actually helped somebody and did something yeah and he doesn't it's funny i i didn't i mean probably because i was so young when i first saw this movie we were probably like 20 years old or something but yeah. i i didn't really realize that like they um in the opening subtitle of the movie or like he's introducing the characters and the subtitle says troy barlow you know just became a father and I was like, what does that have to do with anything? Every decision he makes in the mm-hmm. movie is motivated by the fact that he has a kid, which yeah, is why just... he's the guy who wants to get out of there yeah. immediately. And it's why after he goes through being tortured and, you know, has the, like, meeting of the minds when he finds out that, that this guy lost his wife and his kid, that he's like, well, we have to help these people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it totally changes him. Um, yeah, and I think and I think that's largely, like, I think that's what's so interesting about this is to, is to say, like, the soldiers in the conflict, a large majority of them, their concept of this war was as media-driven as our concept of the war. Right. Like they were there and they still didn't know what was going on. Right. And and you're right. It's a really interesting choice that Clooney's the only person who's ever done anything. Yeah. Like that's the first guy that Troy's killed and, and they're all and sort of enamored by it. Yeah. And Clooney's like – remember it's like Clooney's – like. Clooney's introduced to us as a media liaison. Right. Right. Like his whole job in the war. He was special forces, wasn't he? Yeah. Is to deal with media. Right. And he's, he's, you know, fucking Judy Greer, the first, uh, the first arrested development. Yeah. Future. Who's who's the second? Uh, Aliyah Shawkat. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's right. The little little girl. um, Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's like, there's, there don't seem to be any uh, actual, Iraqi actors in this movie they're all just like most of them seem to be Indian or Pakistani um but yeah they're just like she I, I don't know what her like I think lit- I think the internet actually said that a lot of the guys who were playing Iraqi soldiers were actually Iraqi refugees oh, okay well yeah. then I, I'm happy and I don't know why the internet would lie to me yeah <laughs> no it's probably I think that actually they talk about that on the commentary you're probably right um I just know that the 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 leader of the of the rebels is the guy who played the leader of Crimson Jihad the terrorist group in True Lies yeah that's right and <laughs> he's got a very he's in his name like Cliff something like he's got a very a very it's western Rupert, name it's, it's Sir Christopher Neeling Roach actually yeah <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, um, or maybe I'm thinking of Lost with that had an Indian actor. You're or, thinking of a different dude. It's not the same dude. The head rebel yeah. guy is not the same dude from uh, from True Lies. He's not. No, I'm pretty sure he's not. Are you a hundred percent sure? I'm I'm willing to <laughs> bet. Um, I'm, I'm willing to bet that five hundred dollars you owe me from before the show uh, on it. <laughs> I don't remember this. <laughs> no, no, it happened. Um. <laughs> Anyway, just, just give me the, just but give yeah, me. I, I I remember being shocked when like that like find out that little girl grows up to be maybe. Um, 
turns out to be maybe. All right, so here's the plot. It's a heist in the desert, and you know, it's there's two heists going on, right? One is the heist that it's like a counter heist, right? So Iraq is trying to steal Kuwaiti oil and gold, and so our our guys after the war is over go in and try to steal Iraqi uh, gold, and they set it up by pulling out an ass map. And I think that we need to address the fact of the ass map, um, at least a little bit. I mean, I don't plan to go through this movie scene by scene because I just don't have that kind of energy. But I would like to address why an ass map. Like, there were a billion ways for that map to get into, like, why an ass map? Well, I I think this is one of those things that's less symbolic than it is. Um, absurd. No, not there, even there. absurd. I think that's what people are forced to do in war and in times of crisis like it's it's, if you're a guy you only have that one place oh and then they also say that they they found you don't see this but they say that they like they found the cipher to the map in his dick that they had to pull out with a pair of tweezers remember that i thought that was a joke I thought no. that was a joke <laughs> I, I don't think it's a joke i thought it was one of those because the story changed like you know it was one of those oh did you hear that he pulled this map out of his ass and blah, 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 blah. And, like, the story sort of got more and more ridiculous, like, as it filtered from person to person. And so I heard it came out of his dick. Like, that's what I thought it they was. They are contradicting, though. They're saying it's it's something something else on top of it. I mean, it, it maybe— No way. I, 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 I thought that was, like, the French dude, part of, like, the the French special forces guy was like, it was in his ear. It was in his right. nose. I, yeah, I mean— Okay, that's, I could That's be wrong. what I thought, too. Yeah, but Yeah. No, I'm going to go with you're wrong because— um, that's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> that they pulled. Let it me out tell you, I, I want I want any NSA or CIA agents who are listening to know right now. If I'm ever in a wartime situation where saving your gold means rolling up a thin scroll and stuffing it up my urethra, I'm out. Like I'm not. <laughs> my taxes are too high for that kind of payback. Also, to um, resolve our prior issue, uh, the gentleman's name is Cliff Curtis. He Cliff was Curtis, born sorry. in New Zealand. So he's uh, he Maori. A, right. He is Maori. Okay. He's of Maori descent, and he has absolutely nothing to do with that other dude, Jeff. Oh, I'm racist. You are pretty, <laughs> pretty racist. That's pretty horrible. So who... Oh, okay, never mind. Doesn't matter. We don't know who you're thinking of. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever, whoever you're thinking of, though, you should be pretty ashamed of yourself, I think is the, yeah. the part. I think his name is Art Malik. The other dude you're thinking of. Okay. Are you looking up true lies right now? I am actually. And you know what? I don't feel good about it. <laughs> it doesn't. This is it's. It, and I really don't feel good about the fact that when I first typed it in, true lies two came up in my Google search. <laughs> so I, I don't know what that's about, but whatever it is, I don't, I'm not ready. Uh, I'm not ready. Um, so right. like, uh, so what are you going to say? You're, so you, so what do you, what do you want to get at with the map being found on the guy's ass? I want to understand like what's, you know, the, there's just the sort of, again, the, the kind of the quotidian contra, uh, the, the quotidian juxtaposition of like, yeah, that's how the chain of command works. Like you go get the map. Here's the tweezers. Here's the rubber gloves, almost as if they're prepared for the possibility of extracting ass maps from people. Right. Um, like, it's such an absurd, and the way it's shot is really like puts that ass really quite prominently in the foreground of the sh- of the frame, right? Like there's no escaping the ass, 
And I just, again, I just want to know, like, is this, this is funny, but I don't understand what I'm supposed to be laughing at. Like, I know that I'm laughing, but I don't know if my laughter is divorced from context, you know, or, or any of the broader things that this movie is, is dealing with. It just seems so, it seems like such a Joseph Heller way of going through the war, right? That's just like, everything is happening by accident. No one's in control of anything. And here's an ass map. And is that, uh, does, the, does the reason this movie resonates for me, is it because that is how I, how probably war actually is? Well, you know. Right, like where no one really knows what's going on. I, I end up laughing at that scene because of the interaction between Troy and and Vig. Um, because Mark Wahlberg does, you know, what he, I think, is so good at is having this sense of naivete and sort of this kind of like, he's, you know, he does, he's really good at not being totally in command of the situation like because he's got this kind of doofus grin on his face or like and like his his cadence that he goes back to and in, in a lot of different movies has that sort of i'm not entirely confident that the words i'm saying are actually true and then in that scene he <laughs> he makes spike jones pull the map out of the guy's ass and he's like well why don't you do it he's like because i outrank you it's yeah. like like it's the one time that he's like gonna pull rank on his best friend is because of this ridiculous situation and when the way he says it it's just like you don't have rank over anybody you don't know what the hell is going on yeah. anywhere here and nobody really does kind of until you meet clooney who has the presence and the gravitas to be like i'm the guy who knows what the hell is happening yeah out here and I so like I think that's really funny because you're seeing the layman soldiers who have ranks above each other but that those ranks don't seem to mean anything because none really of them what's point. going on yeah it's a really good point because yeah because he has such it's like even though he has like like Mark Wahlberg you can you can tell he grew up um you know without a lot of money like the same way you can tell that Ice Cube grew up without a lot of right. money but but Mark Wahlberg has this weird innocence and sweetness you right. know and then but yeah they all just seem like a bunch of bumbling kids and then the second Clooney shows up they all just like magnetize on him because he's clearly a real leader you yeah know? and that scene reminds me so much of like picking baseball teams where it's just <laughs> like no I got to be captain today so like you're gonna go play left field and it's just like but you suck at this yeah and like their their interaction and it's i think it's amazing and a testament to Mike Jones's performance that you could have somebody who's more innocent than what Mark Wahlberg puts out there yeah what spike jones is doing this movie is amazing and it's actually it's based on people that he met um there's a thing have you guys seen the spike jones dvd collection there's like the one with all the music videos yeah, on it's, it yeah it's like it's like mostly music videos but there's this short film that he made while he was somewhere in the south shooting some other music video and he like he met these he met these kids and he just went over to their house and started filming them and um and <laughs> the kids keep talking about Arabians and what <laughs> and like what, this is this is and this is probably from around the same time it's from the early 90s and the kids keep talking about like what the what the Arabians are going to do i wonder if it's actually about the war but it's like you know that that character is nothing like who spike jones is but it's like it's but yeah it's 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 that that attitude of like total ignorance but also like born out of a weird sort of well and he also gets 
he gets a really interesting like I mean the movie plays with audience expectations in in so many different ways and one of them rewatching this movie again was they get to the village and Clooney and Ice Cube and Mark Wahlberg go down into the bunker and they leave Spike Jones alone with the machine gun yeah in the hot zone with the M60 you know like the most fidgety like least experienced, the guy that you would totally expect. Okay, this is going to go really wrong, really fast, and it's going to be because of him, because he's incapable of being in the situation. And they've already had the conversation about how they haven't seen action and what's it like. And Clooney has the whole thing about you know you end up being afraid after it happens, like you just do it. And so like they're kind of setting you up for this moment where Spike Jones is going to be the one that gets them into all this trouble. And he doesn't, he actually really keeps it together. And, you know, it solidifies him as a three dimensional human being for yeah. me because suddenly he, he's not just this, this doofus redneck that is as opposed to the, the Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. Guy, right. Exactly. Yeah, who who really bumbles broad. his way through the whole movie. Like Spike Jones is actually a capable soldier like his training and his instincts actually yeah like manifest themselves the way they're supposed to and he keeps his cool and then you know it it makes his death really effective and like it, it makes him much more endearing than i would be towards that kind of, towards exactly the jamie kennedy character who i just don't give a shit about like i i really like spike jones and i'm i'm really rooting for him and his relationship with mark Wahlberg and like they they do they do a masterful job of making that really effective and emotional yeah, um, and his and his on again off again relationship with Chief right. Ice Cube, like, yeah. Now he's sort of like, he sort of betrays himself as an ignorant redneck, like right away, and then but you know, but then tries to keep working towards you know. He's like, well, just because I I don't I think black people can't do this and can't do that doesn't mean we shouldn't be friends, right? You know? Well, and it, and it, it it's a great I mean it's great writing because of the parallel between Ice Cube being a black guy having to deal with this essentially racist redneck and Americans being in the Middle East and having their racisms towards towel heads and sand niggers and all yeah, that yeah. other stuff, you know, like these varying degrees of racism and what that all means. And these are the barriers that we're going to break down and say, you know, like, you know, good and evil is not across, um, geographical borders like you know it's how you react as a human being and and it has nothing to do with with color or where you're from and everything and i like so to have those different levels of that conversation happening you know locally and then globally um from the soldiers to the war itself you know like it's really really brilliantly yeah. written so so yeah there's something i want to say towards that point about chief um seth this is going to be a little bit of a pop quiz um tell me about <laughs> tell me about uh journey to the- shoot the hostage <laughs> shoot the hostage no because you always you always say that you're bad at story structure but i think you can do this um tell me about journeys to the underworld in this movie tell me about um well they go into a bunker so they actually but, go into an underworld but, but beyond that nope it's more <laughs> nope so go, shut up you shut up now they go into an underworld that's it i have a feeling i got I know it where Jeff is i want with this. i want my money no i want my money but it's it's really similar to the way it happens in raiders right because they go they go into the first bunker and they look all around and the guys are there and they and they question the guys and they say oh we don't know and then they and then they come back different out. bunker different bunker you come back out and they leave but yeah. 
so first of all, they were digging in the wrong place, right? Yes. Secondly, but they have to they have to figure it out, and then like the I mean, yeah, because he he remembers the boots, right? He sees the boots under the, in his yeah. Under, he he remembers seeing the boots under the the clothes, but he I goes back to the well. Yeah, and I I the think, well <gasps> the well of souls. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the door being in the well is way more symbolic than the mat being in the ass. And then they go they go into the second bunker, and then even then they search that whole thing, and then there's a secret door that's locked. Yeah. They have to get the guy to unlock it. So then they go down to another bunker. So they're way underground by this point. And um, that's when they finally find the thing that they were that seeking, they which is in this case is the gold. Um, but Why was the gold in those suitcases? Like, why would you transfer the gold into suitcases that you couldn't then move the gold in? I, I wondered about that, too. If That's you... just emblematic of a country in disarray. That's just bad staff work. Because I think the, the suitcases themselves were valuable, right? I mean, obviously not as valuable, but I don't know. Well, probably, could... probably less so once they'd been ripped apart by the gold. Yeah. But, 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 yeah. Just, but just to the point of being in the underworld, did you notice the thing that once they get into the secret bunker, did you notice the thing that Chief sees on the TV? Oh God, no! Wasn't it the this? news? He see he like it was nobody new- else sees it, but like when he, when they when they get to the secret bunker, and the guys who lied to them before are all down there watching TV. Uh-huh. There's something on one of the TV screens, I the, I, and it says I don't know March why. 3rd, 1991. It's the Rodney King tape. Oh yes, 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 yes. I do really? remember seeing that. Yeah, Chief sees it. Nobody else sees it, and I thought that was a really wonderful way to do. Um, you know, because in order to get the thing that you seek, you sort of have to confront, if not your own death, some like. And Chief is like reminded; he's like halfway around the world. He still can't escape this knowledge that in his own country, he's still not like a complete citizen. You right. know? He doesn't have the rights of all the other guys around him. Um, but yeah, that's that's. I thought that was a great moment. Um, goes by in five seconds, um, and then. Because Spike Jones isn't there, he has a different underworld journey later on in the film, which is a lot more literal because he's actually has the dead body next to him and he's like, Oh, right. this is this is how I want to die. Mm-hmm. And everything that happens at the end of the film sort of gets prefigured, you know. Right. And isn't part of the journey to the underworld is that you have to receive the thing that you need to fulfill your eventual quest and so you know, setting up that that gold is not going to be the prize that they take well, home with them. Exactly, it's it, gives, be... it gives you the strength that you need right. to complete the journey and to to um, you know confront your real enemies and to get all the way back home. Right, and so you know, and certainly, you know, and Mark Wahlberg comes out of being tortured like totally, you know, newly motivated, and and Spike Jones. Um, you know, comes out of that with his new. Fr- you know, they all they all they really confront the like they have that. That's that's the moment where the rebel leader realizes what they're up to. Right. He's like, "You have all of these tanks and shit you didn't bring. I think I think you're actually stealing this gold." You know what I mean? Right. And um and once they realize, "Okay, we are bad people. We are doing the wrong thing. We need to go do the right thing." Yeah. Um And they need that gold and the only way that they can get out of their predicament is with that the gold that they stole for other Yeah, they have to start other using means. it. Yeah. Um but yeah, I was really surprised to find all those things in this movie, which is like, um, you know, which when it came out was talked about a lot as being a really subversive movie and a movie that a studio like didn't necessarily like was really ballsy to make and was more like a film from the 70s than anything else. Um, 
but it's still like hero's journey, bam, 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 bam. You know? Right. Right. Well, so talk to me about a couple of the technical aspects then, if you can. Right. I know that like the uh, way- This is like, Keith's department. I don't this know. is Keith's department. <laughs> All well, right. you know what was interesting? It worked a lot better for me this time that I saw it, where the first time that I saw it, I don't feel like we'd caught, gotten quite into the Ocean's Eleven super slick camera, you know, CSI ended up putting it on TV. Like, oh, yeah. That sort of thing. And this movie, I feel like, was the first one that I remember, and I remembered it before I rewatched it. I was like, man, those scenes really bothered me the first time I saw it, where when they talk about sepsis and getting shot, and like you see inside the organs and watch the bile stuff. And I was like, I always felt like that was very... Um, it was showy being showy for the sake of being showy and it didn't work for me and like it, it took me out of the movie the first time i saw it and this time and i don't know if it's just because i knew it was there and i expected it or because it's kind of become ubiquitous in cinema style anyway now yeah. that it doesn't bother me anymore i'm just used to it but um I mean, do you guys have any recollection of the, those shots and those oh, kinds yeah. of angles I, when we I first will, saw it? I, I will absolutely say that the the thing with the lung, I mean, the thing with sepsis is like, oh, it's interesting, but it doesn't really like. But the the thing with Mark Wahlberg having to reinflate his lung is for me the most memorable thing in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think about it all the time, <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and it, it was just like. I, I, is that where he gets the handcuffs on and he can't reach it? That's so terrifying to me. Right. Um, He's just going to suffocate I, under his yeah, own I've weight. I've always had this weird paranoia about my own heartbeat, and it's like I think it's related to that. But like, yeah, it's it's super effective, and it still looks amazing. Like, yeah. Not, so the so the effect itself, like you didn't have a problem with it being it didn't jar that me, graphic no. and that sort of it, out did, of style it, with it the did, rest it, of it. It didn't take me out of the movie. Okay. Um, but I can see how it could have taken somebody out of the movie, absolutely. And I think the thing that's really interesting about that is that, you know, like I was saying before, David O. Russell has never made a big-budget movie before this one. He's never right. had money to throw around and do stuff like that. Right. And he's never had money to be like – to do all the ectrochrome and like reversal film flashing and, and all this other stuff that – camera stuff that I don't understand. And there there is a lot of – there are a lot of camera tricks in this movie. There's a lot of like um, times when you know he'll he'll – uh, print stretch frame or you know or that thing when that moment where like everything sort of changes for them where they get those low angles with like the the time-lapse sky speeding mm-hmm. past them there's a lot of moments where he use he'll use a camera trick to like nail an aspect of the story that a different director might just let play on an actor's face yeah and i actually want to talk about one sequence in particular if we could sure um which is the sequence when they're outside of the um they're in the village, they're outside the well, and um, there's a firefight. There's an exchange of fire. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the big, like the huge uh, guard dude who gets ends up getting shot, um, like I think under the chin. But how those shots don't play out, but they're very sequential. It's like, you know, everyone's got a gun pointed on everyone else, and then it's one, two, three, zip, 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 impact, 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 and then pan, another shot, zip. And, like it's not all happening at once. And I thought that was like I'd never seen a firefight, like even a brief one, played out like that. I think that 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 thing is super effective because by slowing it down, it actually shows you how fast it is. You know, like I, I don't know if you guys felt this way. Like, I, I, and this might not have been the reason why he did it. He may have done it to sort of show you how horrible, you know, getting shot 
is when you actually get to see it, which in most movies you don't really get to see somebody actually get shot. But for me, like slowing it all down actually sped it up because when you come out of the slow motion and you get back into real time, like something snaps in me that says that all happened in like a fraction of a second that these shots all went off and suddenly there's all these people that are dead. And because I got to see each individual one happen, it sort of reinforced for me how just cold and sudden and traumatic that experience is. Um, yeah. See for me, what it kind of, and I, I think I had a slightly a similar, but different experience was that it, it seemed like by slowing it down and doing it sequentially, as opposed to simultaneously, right. Where everyone starts shooting at once. Right. Um, it kind of showed that there's, there's like a causal, there's a causal relationship between these things, right? There's a sequence of events that this happens, then this happens, then this happens, rather than in a kind of reservoir dog situation where, right, everyone, like all the guns kind of go off at once, right? And whoever yeah. falls, falls, right? And I thought that that was really interesting with the way that um, that one Iraqi dude gets shot in the leg and then no one fires, right? And like, I think it's Mark Wahlberg or Conrad. It's like, what's happening? Yeah, yeah. Right? And, you know, because that's not what I expected. I expected as soon as one round is fired then everyone's like it's just going to be a huge melee of gunfire and that's exactly what didn't happen yeah yeah it's and, another case and conrad uh conrad keeps his cool you know yeah, the guy that, that, that you would of, expect would when that happens would lose it and just start mowing people down he does yeah it. he exactly. keeps his cool right? there'd, there'd be panic and that's that exchange of gunfire and the way it was handled cinematically reminded me of the issue of um, when Conrad says to Clooney, you know, you made a choice back in the village, right? And now this, like, what's now, what is, what, what's Troy going to do, right? Like, that there's, that for all the, the seeming chaos of these events, that there is some sort of order that can emerge or that there can be control of it, and the choices are getting made here, right? So it all seems like absurdity, but at, at, like, at least at some sort of micro level on the ground, like, choices are getting made. You know, the, yeah. yeah, but a lot of times you make them before you realize you've made them, you know, right, things right, and that's what I think fast. the gun, yeah. like, that's what that gunfire exchange was, was like, that's, the, the, it, like, a series of events is going to unfold from one choice that will be sequential and causal, but inevitable once the first step is taken, right, like, once one person shoots, you're going to shoot this person, this person's going to shoot that person, and, you know, three shots, three zips, three impact sounds, right, yeah, um, I don't know. I felt like, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm the first time I saw this movie, I loved that sequence. And this time I was kind of like, oh, now we're doing something directory, you know, like. Ah. It, so it, like what I felt about the yeah, like thing. It, I mean, okay. I didn't hate it, but I was like, oh, now you feel like you have to show me something cool. Like you're going to put this on your reel. Like, and it's interesting because David O. Russell has gone so far in the other direction since this movie, you know, like now, like he. He well, he made I Heart Huckabees, which which also has a lot of cool um, tricks in certain places, but is generally just like um, a silly comedy um, about serious issues. And then he, for a long time, he tried to get this movie made called Nailed, and he almost got it made, then it fell through, and he almost got it made again, it fell through, and then um, and then he made The Fighter, and his f- whole philosophy with The Fighter was like performances. That's it. Like that's all you know, and there's no there's no showy stuff with the camera or with the editing or anything like that. It's just performances, and that and he considers like 
okay, now I've really found my voice and my voice is just staying the hell out of the way of what my actors want to do, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I think it's interesting. I, I don't know if he's like, I don't know who exactly he's influenced by when he's doing that. That's an interesting sort of progression for him because I don't know that this movie would work without his camera style. And, and, you know, like, I don't, I don't know that this movie works as well if you just stay with the actors. The slight amount of, I think the, yeah, like the surrealism of the way it's being mediated is important. Yeah. You have to, right. Like you have to, you have to make it a little bit. Well, you don't have to, but I, I can see where I can see what Ethan is saying. Like a straight up performance piece would not work. You need like the the film to make it to kind of heighten the unreality of the situations there. Right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like I don't, you know, as much as this is really a pure character drama, and like we see these characters go go through this. Like I don't, I don't know if any of the actors. Maybe it's just. You know, like, I think Clooney's great at the thing that he does, and I think Mark Wahlberg is great at the thing that he does, but if you rely on them to do anything more than that thing that they do, then I think they, they have a tendency to kind of fall apart. And this is just my opinion, but... So, like, I think without... I think the camera direction and the, the visual style and, and pace and the editing of the movie allows allows them to keep uh, Clooney and Mark Wahlberg sort of in their wheelhouse and not make them take on any more in terms of their performance than they than what they're already great at doing. And I think it helps them a lot. The camera style? Well, I, because I think like... I don't. <laughs> yeah, it was feel... a pink. It was it was a purple camera. No, no, no. Did you no, not no, know like that? The like ca- they painted the it, they put direction. sparkles on it. Like the camera direction and the shot making and the visuals and things like that. Like, like to me, if they just... Like, if you just sat on Clooney's face and let him act, like, I don't think he's nearly as, in in this particular thing with the kind of drama that this movie is, I don't think he would be nearly as effective. So you're, you're saying you, instead of being lost in the story, you'd just be lost in his eyes? I wouldn't be, because Clooney doesn't do that for me. The really? Way, like, I think, I, look, I think the things that he is great <laughs> at, I think he's that. really great, and I and I do enjoy watching him, but I don't think he's going to... He's not going to run away with a movie the way, or run away with a character the way I don't know uh, Christian Bale or Sean Penn or somebody who's a little bit grander yeah. in terms of their acting I, personality. No, I, I, all I was trying to say was I, I think that um, I really love I really love the way this movie's covered, like in terms of composition and in terms of you know like which scenes are handheld and stuff. But I just think that. Like the decision, it's it's it, it just seems very '90s to me. The decision, like, okay, we have to shoot because there's actually three different color philosophies for the three different acts of the movie. Like the like the beginning is super washed out, right? And then like the scene of the village is all on um on reversal, and it's like that like that's a very like David Fincher type thing. Like we have to make it look this certain way to like achieve this emotion which like should be coming through anyway you know what i right. mean like and 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 the and the decision to make the time lapse sky happen you know to signify that they like shit just got real or whatever and um <laughs> and the deci- and the decision to all of a sudden go stretch frame my problem that, with that line that now by happens. the way is that i now go to hot fuzz for that line instead of instead yeah. of bad instead of bad boys too like i've, I've that's that's either what but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like like the decision like 
like all, it seems very 90s. It seems very like people are expecting to the director to wow them and sort of, you know. I don't think that's fair. I mean, I think that that like that's like basically saying that everything should be a documentary. I don't think it's unfair, though, but like, I... why can't you why can't you use the medium to do what the medium can do? Like, I get I get you're saying, like, if it feels forced or unnecessary, then you shouldn't do it. But I don't think that you shouldn't do it because it might feel like it doesn't automatically feel forced or unnecessary. I'm not saying it's bad or even that it feels forced. I'm just saying that the impulse to communicate, I don't know. It just, it seems like something with like much less likely to happen today from anybody. Like I, I agree with you. Like it's very, I think it's very much of like that time period in the same way that like people in the seventies, people would just zoom in. Right. And that didn't seem strange to anybody. You know what I mean? Right. I I agree. Like it's, it's part of the time period and it's part of the, like the nineties independent auteurship thing that was happening. Yeah. Um, where movies were cool. Like there was a, a sense of coolness to it at the same time. I don't, Maybe I'm wrong, but cause unless somebody remakes the movie in a different, totally different style, I don't know that this movie would be effective without it, or nearly as effective without it. Like I think the 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 coolness of it really helps me. I, I don't know. It it makes it it makes it work, and and it might be a contrast because when you get to the end, when they're letting the refugees go, and they have they make the conscious decision to reveal that they have the gold. And they'll tell them where it is if they open up the gates and let these refugees go. That's filmed much more, much straighter. And so, like, yeah. and I think, like, it allows that that oh, transition okay. of tone to go from, you know, the beginning of the movie and sort of scale it back as we go until we hit that emotional moment. And then we let the actors play okay, a that little makes more, sense. more straight. Yeah, and so, you can... You can read that back into the whole, like, the, the whole problem of, of the, the media in this movie, right? Like, that, you know, that this is... They're packaging the film, rather they're packaging the war like it's a movie, right? Like it's got its acts, like just the way that Wag the Dog talks about, like we're going to shock and awe and it's going to be, right? And so you have all of these cinematic effects that are kind of like showing you how cool, this is a heist. It's not really a war. You know, like people yeah. aren't really dying. We're stealing the gold. And then eventually, like as Ethan says, maybe you, you back off that stuff in order to kind of evoke a sense that there are actually stakes, right? That, you know... Um, and then, of course, we just happening. go and contradict what I said before, because that last scene just does let the actors do the job for them. Where yeah. earlier yeah, I was but saying, only, I don't only, know if only guys... for a second. Yeah, I, I guess. It's... Yeah, we're not really in, the, in much danger of, of seeing them, them act. I, I, I personally think that the best uh, the best work Clooney does in the movie is in the, the little epilogue when he uh, like he's doing like the <laughs> combat training with the movie guy. In the movie. So <laughs> and Clooney Clooney gets that look on his face, like, okay, you know what you're doing. I don't know yeah, where I, I got this best, from. I think that's his best work. But speaking of that epilogue, uh, this is where my memory is so bad. I was 100 percent convinced that they went back and dug up some gold for themselves. No, and I totally. A, I, there was, yes. a, and I, I remembered a scene of that happening, and then it didn't happen. I was like, "Well, what the fuck movie was I thinking?" I don't about remember that, that scene, but I definitely felt like um, I definitely felt like, like somehow Troy got his carpet business started with stolen gold. Yeah, yeah. Like I, that's definitely that's the conclusion I came. To. I remembered it being much, much more explicit. Like I was convinced that that was what happened, and it wasn't something that I just like attributed to the last line about some of the gold was reported missing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but you know, like I thought it was much more explicit than that. And then that didn't happen. And I just sat there. I was like, man, was I watching this movie thinking I saw a different movie? (laughs) Is it after the credits? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Samuel L. Jackson comes in. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So then a couple more things that I want to talk about. Um, one being, and I want to return to this issue of like the sort of directorial um, or the stylized interference. And there's one sequence I want to talk about, which is, and this is against, um, this is sort of a counterexample to Ethan's claims about what you need versus um, what you should get out of performance. And that is when the torture scene is uh, resolved. Obviously, um, torture uh, sort of in the news. But um, there are some weird like jump cuts, right? Um, there's the light flashing, and then there's the guy who draws the gun when uh, I think Clooney comes in and he jumps forward in space. Like he doesn't just, it's oh, not yeah. a continuous motion. Yeah. And I can't decide why that was necessary. It seemed like there was enough to do without that. And um, how do we feel about um, that whole interlude with the torture scene, given, again, talking about this movie as it played in 99 versus as this movie would play now and does play now in a post 9-11 thing, how do we feel about um, the torture scene being very clearly felt in that movie um, in 1999, uh, Three Kings very much portraying torture as something that other people do very clearly. I think indicating that that's something that Iraqis or the enemy does. Well, how do we feel about that now? Does it change? I mean, it didn't occur to me in 1999. It really didn't like, Oh God, like they're going to torture him because that's something that the enemy does. Yeah. Like, never that, didn't, that didn't occur to me in this either, but only because I was involved with the movie. And so, I mean, it was already set up that in this village, this is what happens. And now I, Mark I Wahlberg is a part of what happens in this village. So I, I didn't, I didn't bring in my external yeah. knowledge. I mean, that's that's perfectly fair. I don't want to over-politicize yeah. it, but I couldn't separate it on the rewatching um, from, you know, the recent recent events and kind of thinking about it as between Gulf Wars 1 and 2. I couldn't distinguish Yeah, it. I don't know, because I guess maybe I just didn't feel like it was making a point about... It was trying to make a political... I didn't think the... I didn't read the movies making a political point about torture. Maybe I'm just being naive about that, but... Um, I, I, I don't well, know. So that, I guess that's why I didn't bring any of my external opinion about torture into it. Yeah, I don't think it... So you're you're saying that you're in favor of it? Of torture? <laughs> yeah, you're you're clearly... I haven't heard you come out against it strongly, and that concerns me. <sighs> Fine. I'm not in favor of torture. <laughs> but regardless, when I'm watching the movie, I'm, I'm watching the movie. And yeah, I, I mean, a lot of times my opinions color things but usually i'm set up as this movie is making a statement about it and then i i bring my opinion into whether or not this movie is making a convincing argument to me whether i agree with it or or not i didn't feel that in this case the politics that this movie is trying to talk about i didn't feel like torture was one of those things they were really getting into i kind of i didn't think like necessarily that you know current political debates about it were but i thought it was really interesting that the torturers like the guys who haven't wired up and are dealing with the electroshock doohickey don't really seem to agree on how it works right they, like they're having yeah. like weird little arguments about they're definitely no, no, your, amateurs get, don't touch that it's always yeah, they're, they're, it's always somebody's first day like, yeah, you yeah. Gotta, it's, it's complicated <laughs> equipment you gotta train right and like, they don't like the result that it has which is again not like i've never seen 24 um so i don't know how it presented you know the stuff that it presented in terms of you know enhanced interrogation but it seemed like these guys didn't like doing it um, and that was, again, another interesting and unexpected way of complicating the realities or not realities, such as they were, of whatever was actually happening on the ground. And 
I just, um, I don't know. He's wearing a suit. He's getting oil shoved down his throat with a CD being used, right? So like, and then another exemplar of sort of like, you know, American consumerism. Um, yeah. And it starts out with the Michael Jackson thing, right? Which like, yeah. I, I remember really clearly being in the theater and the laughs that that line got, you know, the Michael, because you're mm-hmm. expecting something totally heinous right from the start. Exactly. And then, and then he like seriously wants to know about Michael Jackson and it ends and you know, like, okay, so this is going in a comedy direction. Then it goes back into a, like a racism direction um, and gets even weirder and scarier. Um, I don't like, I don't think that the movie is trying to make a point about um, American versus Iraqi torture. I think what that scene is, is trying to do is to just to get, to move Mark Wahlberg further and further in the direction of, I can't remember the character's name, but the the rebel leader, you know, mm-hmm. because because when they find him, he's being tortured. Yeah, when yeah. they find him, he's on the metal bed frame and he has the thing between his teeth. And also, detail that I never noticed before: little girl, um, both of her arms are broken. Yeah, I don't think that was because she fell down. You know, like I I I I can't believe I didn't put that together before, but like. <laughs> This guy. No, it's 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 because it's because the swing set adjacent to the torture yeah. room, right, didn't have those little crushed rubber things in the sandbox. Yeah, are she sure she didn't have some sort of like growth defect that they had to like, <laughs> you know, stabilize her arms? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's yeah, so... maybe they were trying to help her, Mister Judgy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so like he, it's just weird because they never they never like talk about that. But I think you know. Mark Wahlberg realizes that, you know, whatever he's going through, the other guy has been through much, much, much worse for much longer, you know. And um and it's just it's just about getting him to realize that, you know, I could be like I could easily be in your shoes, you know. So I have to do everything I can to like help you out. Well yeah, and all the and and you know, I, I think one of the more powerful moments is the milk truck. Yeah thing where you know another scene that plays against your expectations where you know you just totally expect this truck to be you know bringing in badness into the village and it's the thing that's going to save this town is the fact that they're going to have milk to drink and it just all got washed away and you know it's like the war is over but not for them you know not for the people who live there the war never ends you know like that's their reality and um, that was, that was really, that was a really effective, like, you know, change yeah, of pace on that, that moment. And yet, but there's some stuff that's kind of, that persists is inescapable, right? So Troy comes out of the, 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 the bunker and he's obviously, he's, you know, he's in shock. I'm not in shock. You're in shock, right? Because they're having an argument about whether or not infinity or Lexus makes a convertible. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the, there's that, that debate, right. Which is a holdover from the previous right part of the movie. Like I'll buy you, you know, a Lexus. Lexus don't make convertible. Yeah. Yeah. Infinity. That's right. That debate holds over after the change, right? Like they're still arguing about who owes who a car. Yeah. Right. And I just like, uh, and still like the, the old, the, the goal here for like them, the three of them, right. They get these guys across the border. They give them money, right. They give each, like give some people bars of gold, but they still go back and, you know, Clooney's got a Hollywood career. Troy's got a business. Right, like it's not like they're pursuing, you know, they haven't become you know activist journalists the way Nora Dunn obviously you know that that remains yeah. her. And role. They're not relaxing on a beach with a cocktail. Like they haven't. They're still working. Yeah, they're, yeah. but they're still working. Like they're they're somewhere in the middle of like the pursuit of kind of a weird American dream, 
right? Where maybe he still has, maybe he's got his Lexus outside, right? Like he went through all this, but they're still talking about whether or not Lexus makes an infinity or uh, Lexus makes a convertible or if infinity does. Like they, they can't quite, you know, they don't exactly, the change in them is not, I don't know, like complete. Well, maybe it is. I think that's just. I, I think that's just more about you would. You know, you would. Funny. You would. You would cling to whatever. Yeah. Was left over from your non-tortured part of your day. You know? Sure. Sure. Um. But yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll I'll ask this: Does Ethan or does Ethan not have the Jesus fire around him all the time? <laughs> that's let's 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 Ethan. Is it Jesus just fire? because of the halo on the Google Hangout that you think it I is? Actually, Jesus I was wondering. Right. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it is. That's right. That's right. Uh, I should probably redirect this light that's right above my head so that it doesn't do that when you look at me. I, no, I think it works. Okay, well, I'm going to keep it then. I think I think it works. I really do. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I just. Yeah, overall, I was really surprised and impressed by this movie. Like, um, it holds up really, really yeah, well. Yeah, I don't think I'd seen it all the way since I, I don't. I mean, I, I think since you know I bought the DVD like right after it came out. But I was I was thinking about it recently because I was because uh, a friend of mine, uh, I I gave this I gave this DVD to a friend of mine's daughter who's like fourteen. And she's really interested in film, and I, I gave her a whole bunch of DVDs that I didn't need anymore. But I, as I was handing it over, I was like. Is this appropriate for a 14-year-old to watch? I guess. It's pretty violent, but but I was thinking, I was like, does it hold up? I was like two months ago, I was just thinking about this, and I was like, it probably doesn't hold up nearly as well as I think it does, mm-hmm. but it holds up way better. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think it's like kind of a whole different path almost that David O. Russell could have gone down. Yeah, see, when we talked about this, and I probably should have watched something because I, I actually had a moment during the week where I could have, but I haven't seen any of his movies after this one. You haven't seen The Fighter? No. No. You I've haven't been... seen Silver Lines Playbook and you haven't seen American Hustle. No, I've been very <laughs> remiss in my, my cinematic <laughs> You duties. haven't seen any movies except for Frozen in the past four years. <sighs> I saw other kids' movies. <laughs> you saw... Uh... Um, but I had seen Flirting with Disaster and I saw this and then I haven't seen any of the other ones. Um... Okay, last, last words then because obviously we all just, um, we were too much agreement. I expected one of us to not like this movie more. Um, after reviewing it, Ice Cube massively under uh, underrated performance. Yeah, I think I, I don't think this gets talked. I don't think his work in this movie gets talked about. Really awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely. Enough. Yeah. Um, and again, kind of a different path. Like I think shortly after this, he went into making a bunch of family comedies. Right. God, that's. I guess he did. I don't really know. Like I mean, because yeah. well, because he was in Boys in the Hood, right? right? But that was almost seven years before this movie. Yeah, I mean, he's always had the chops. He's a good actor, for yeah. Sure. But it's pre- like it's it's presence that you need, right? Because Spike Jones, like he's not. Uh, what am I trying to say? Like the same the same presence that Mark Wahlberg has, where you like the way that he speaks, you can tell that he didn't grow up rich. That therefore he has some motivation to get this goal to bring it back to his family. And same thing with Ice Cube. Like you can tell he grew up, you know, not rich. You know, there's there's a presence there that like. That you know Clooney doesn't have, and that Spike Jones is pretending to have. You know, it just it, it imbues the movie with like with something something that it needs, which is like what you were saying earlier about. You know, there's like there, it's a bunch of poor people fighting over stuff for a bunch of rich people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, 
Yeah. We've had a lot of, I think we've had this run of like three, like class conscious dude adventure movies, Ghostbusters and Seven Samurai. And now this. Yeah. He just got no high school. Yeah. <laughs> Don't so- tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I cut you off. You were just saying Ice Cube is good. Yeah, no, he really, he really is. Uh, he's just really, really solid. He's completely believable, um, in a way that Clooney's not, right? Like Clooney, I don't know. Clooney feels like Clooney. I mean, maybe it's because he's like too good looking to. Well, be I mean, that's this is what I was saying doing. before. Like Clooney always feels like Clooney, and when Clooney is yeah, the right no, person for the part, I think Clooney's great. But I always worry about okay. Clooney picking a role, say Batman. Where Clooney being Clooney is not right for the part, oh. and then well, it's part Affleck. of an epic He was comedy. really lucky to get that role at that point. Like nobody would have turned that down. Well, this was also like he was still basically ER guy in this movie, right? I mean, this was no, no. This is right after Out of Sight. This is right after what? Out of Sight. That was summer of '98. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it's right. another it's heist thing. Um, yeah, but I would the to I think Clooney's great in this movie. The the, the I do too. The but... role. The role that Clooney took that, in my opinion, he shouldn't have taken because he clearly isn't that guy is in The Descendants. Have you seen The Descendants? I have not. Have you seen it, Seth? No. Because, like, he, because he... Is he expected to emote a little too much? No, he's just expected to be a dad of these two girls, and he has never been a dad, and he is totally... He just can't sell that at all. Mm-hmm. And So he, he needed to be a little bit more Louis C.K.? I'll, I'll tell you, like... <laughs> It's so funny. Like the the I actually got the story of the movie wrong as I was watching it because just like his body language with his daughter, I was like, oh, this is a story about a guy who like is a divorced dad and he hasn't seen his daughter in like eight years. But it's not. It's a story about a guy who goes home every night and is a normal dad, but he just acts like a guy <laughs> who doesn't. There's just. I'm no... sorry. I I don't know how to be around any younger woman. Yeah, there's just no. It's just. So, I was so funny to me because that movie was in theaters at the same time as Moneyball, and. Clooney, like the entire movie, he's in these scenes with Shailene Woodley and he never sells it. And Moneyball has those scenes where Brad Pitt, it's like maybe three scenes, three mm-hmm. short scenes where Brad Pitt just like gives his daughter some ice cream. And he clearly is a dad. You know what I mean? And like you can either sell that or you can't. And like Clooney, I mean, maybe he'll get there someday. So you don't feel like Clooney ever turns off the sexual energy and Shailene Woodley is just sitting there like, I want him. That No, I didn't say that at all. <laughs> That's not what I said. No, he just seems awkward. He's just like these small alien people. What do they want from me? (laughs) (laughs) He's just a career, a career dad, a career cold, cold and distant. All right. So the last, the last component to wrap up then, if you will. um, And it's at the beginning and the end, right? So it's the subplot of the movie involving Nora Dunn. Oh yeah. Right. Um, the last journalist, right? The journalist that he's supposed to be handling, that he's not handling, who gets taken on, um, you know, in the Dune Buggy Tour by Jamie Kennedy, um, who I can't decide if she pronounces Karbala or Karbala correctly, whichever one it is, but it annoys me however she says it. <laughs> I think she says Karbala. I want her to say Karbala. It doesn't yeah. matter. I, think she, I feel um, like that was a joke about newscasters. Like, I feel yeah, like she, possibly. Like, she deliberately does it wrong, like, right after he says it right. You know what I mean? And Right. Yeah. And she's she's correcting herself, right? You know, like, um, did I say, like, she's correcting her broadcast at the beginning. Yeah, she's constantly right? redoing are, takes. So she's, yeah, she's yeah. doing, redoing the takes. Yeah. But hers is the story at the end that, like, they all use her and the media to cover their asses, basically. So how does, um, what do you guys make of that? Because that's the part of the movie I always tend to forget is even there at all. 
Um, so what do you do? What do we do with Nora Dunn um, and the journalist sub narrative and the way it ties back up into the end? Well, I mean, it, it ends up affecting everything because yeah, it, it's like it wouldn't happen unless, you know, she were there to film it. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like it's it's both an indictment of the media and of the military because it's like we're getting away with shady shit because it's not being filmed and the media they're not doing their jobs either you know so this is it's trying to be like here's here's the one case where we managed to put these two things together and do some good for somebody and like and in the process kind of i don't know i guess shine a light on the thing which is the problem at the beginning of the movie which is that they don't have any idea what they're actually dealing with you know what i mean um yeah, I, I guess I forgot about that too. Yeah, for me, the my memory of the ending of this movie was entirely about that collapsed lung. Um, I didn't remember them, you know, giving the gold to the refugees. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. If I were with the refugee, I'd be like, seriously, I have to, I have to carry this yeah. thing. This yeah, is what not am I going to do with this? This is not going to fit like, in my butt. Like, this right. is, yeah, yeah this, this is not convenient. Yeah, like you can't write me. A, you can't cut me a check for the equivalent amount. You know when they were handing uh, when he when uh, the leader was handing each one a bar of gold and they were wrapping it up and like and hiding it. It reminded me for stupid reasons, but it reminded me of the poker scene in Ocean's Eleven. Where they're like, is there money in that? There is, if you can move it. And oh, it's yeah. like, the, yeah, the African that, mask. That bar of gold is great. Yeah. What are they going to do with it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's easier than something because you can melt it down. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Seth. Like, if he had handed me this giant bar of gold and I was about to walk across the border into, where, where were they going? Afghanistan? Or. Um, I don't remember what country they were. Iran, wasn't I think it? It, it was might have been Iran. You're right. And um, ah, the good old days. My geography is really piss poor today. Um, but it's just like, yeah, what are they? <laughs> they're going. To, they're going to California. Let's be honest. <laughs> 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 they're in Arizona. It's like, in which case, they really could have used that convertible. Sorry, I think we lost you there. We lost that last line, Seth. Well, in that case, just presume that that joke I made really landed well. Okay, <laughs> really. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> you're not you're not real friends you never were nope we were we've been using you this whole time um but yeah what, so what just, do you think about i'm it? just holding i'm just holding out for the for the wedding present ethan as soon as that thing comes through it's over you'll never hear from me again <laughs> what uh what, what do you think about nora dunn uh versus judy greer like what what do you think they were trying to say i don't yeah i don't know it's like it's it's um i think it doesn't I think the scene in which Jamie Kennedy is oddly trying to hit on Nora Dunn is just a strange standout that I don't understand. And I I definitely agree about the media indictment. Um, You know, it's like, oh, the fucking, like, (laughs) I do like that she's like, uh, when they go to like the oil spills, she's like, those poor fucking birds. Yeah, that scene with the birds is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she's um, on the same path where she's there in this position where, you know, she's there on a mission. I feel like she thinks she's there for a mission that she's just she's being she's not doing or she's being held back from doing where Judy Greer is getting, you know, what she wants because she's fucking Clooney. But it just like, it just seems like it's it's like like I feel like Nora Dunn was put there to cover 
the story of the war, but never gets to actually cover the story of the war. And she's fighting, and then she has the realization that there's all these other stories here that, you know, like, I could have been doing instead of what I thought I was here to do. And so she's got that parallel that she, that they, with the, um, with our main characters. And then at the end, they all come together on the common story and hit what that moment where it's like, this is what we came here to do. This is our moment to actually do what we thought we've been here to do and go home. So you're saying that basically, right. They all find a reason for the war, but not until the war, like they find a reason to be there, but not until it was over. Right, like this movie like takes place entirely in a time of the war. Isn't yeah, it? well, and not they not until they go on this journey where they finally realize that they're able to have the impact that they thought they were supposed to have, but they had to in order to do it, they had to separate themselves from the machinery of where they were. Like you know, Clooney and Ice Cube and our main guys can't accomplish that what they thought they were there to do until they go rogue and basically go they go AWOL and that's the only way that right. and, and they have to they, ha- and they have to actually have a fight with their superiors with the army that they're supposed to be a yeah, part of they they find something to do but it's not what they were there to do it's what right? they like were they, they, it's what they thought they were there to do i felt like but it has to but it has to take place outside the context of any right. official american involvement right they would never have been able to do it as long as they were still part of the military complex Right, so it's basically like right they they did the right thing, but completely by accident and like circumstantially, right? Like it had nothing to do with their like the mili- their fact of the being in the military was incidental, right? It's not because they're U.S. soldiers that they do this. It's or it's not they they don't do this because they're U.S. soldiers. They're it's being U.S. soldiers that allows them to do this. Right, like they no, have a Humvee, getting, but that's getting never away from the system that allowed them yeah. to do this. Like this, yeah. I mean, but it's like it's like that's what I mean. I mean, it's not that allows. I mean, they that gives them the resources and puts them in the location, but that's it. Like it's incidental. It's yeah. not part of policy. It's not part of anything. And that's the same thing for the media. Like the media's job was, you know, covering and the way that Nora Dunn starts out is kind of you know covering the celebration, right? Like the end, right? A non-story, and then yeah. like the oil story's been done, and the fucking birds are done. Even though I care about the birds, it's done. Yeah. Um, but we still have to use the media against... I mean, no one comes out... Basically, no one comes out clean. Yeah. yeah and yeah, this yeah. is... It's not good for anybody. And, it's, and you know, they're, it's pretty... I don't know. I feel like it's pretty standard story structure. Like, in order to accomplish your goal, you have to leave your ordinary world. And so in order... And then when you re-encounter your ordinary world, you're changed by it. Like, you know, Odysseus, you know, just wants to get home. But over the course of the journey, he gets home to find that his home isn't what he thought it was anymore. And I think it's, that's the journey that they're on is that they're, they're soldiers and they're there to be soldiers and rah, rah America. And they go on this, they leave that, go on this journey. And when they come back to it, they realize that that isn't what they thought it was and it isn't what they left. And so everything that they're able to accomplish is because they were able to leave their ordinary world. Um, and Nora Dunn's the same way. She has to go rogue and go off on her own just to chase down the story and sort of distance herself from her military attache and 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 sort of game the system in whatever way she can in order to get the story that she set out to get when she showed up in Iraq in the first place. Or in yeah. Kuwait, yeah. wherever they are. And she's also kind of at the at the mercy of her corporate overlords the same way that, Right, exactly. You know, yeah. she, does, she can't do a story that they're not going to air, so, like, her options are limited. Um, 
what stories? You don't have any fucking stories. Yeah. You don't fucking tell people that. <laughs> just just the way yeah. you don't tell people that Conrad's got no right. high school. Yeah. I also <laughs> like I mean I I also forgotten about like this running gag that comes up like halfway through the movie. It might like at, at like the where um Judy Greer is talking to the other guy whose name I can't remember, but and he's just like, well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be either a veterinarian or a CIA sharpshooter. She's like, wow, that's so complicated. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then it's over, but it's just like, is that, oh, man. I, I don't think I got that joke the first time. <laughs> so. Well, I think that's an ending place if ever there was yeah. one. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, yeah, so next week we want— We're hoping to have Keith back. Yeah, Keith, Keith said he was coming back, so we're going to resume. It's his turn anyway, so we're going to resume with Last Crusade, the third Indiana Jones movie, which I know that he wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Seth, you want to wrap it up? No, I, I'm, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> Seth doesn't remember where to find us. Ever. I never do. And you know what? I think I've made it pretty clear to you that I'm not going to start. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a child. We're on the internet. Just fucking, yeah. you know, Google things. What's, I don't understand. It's already happened. Um, yeah. This has been The Story is Ludicrous. You can find us on Twitter at LudicrousPod, LudicrousPod at gmail.com. See, you know it's fine. Yeah, you know too. You're just lazy. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And uh, yeah. If you find us on iTunes, please rate and review. That helps us out a lot. Um. And uh, we'll see you next time on the stories, ludicrous. Of-